Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and this is Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. We're continuing our series today, The Best is Ahead, with a message called The Blessed Hope. So let's turn in our Bibles to Matthew chapter 24, verses 22 to 31, as we join Dr. Newfeld now. As we anticipate the coming of the new year and wonder what the future holds, I have in my own thinking returned to that one thing about the future that I know with certainty. I know with certainty that on one day, on the day the Father has appointed, the Son will return. That's called the blessed hope of the believer. And Titus 2, 12 to 13 says that we are to live godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, I've wanted us as we face the new year to be filled with hope, but so many want to know how close are we to the appearing of Jesus, our great God and Savior. And it's this timetable stuff that is, show me where we are on the divine timetable that's captured so many people's attention. That is to say, our hope is less on the appearing of our Lord and more on the events that surround that appearance, but rather, it seems to me that many people have set their hope on certain signs they believe will be indicators of just how far we are to the end. And for that reason, I've chosen to speak on Jesus' teaching found in Matthew 24, a teaching he gave to his disciples before, you know, his death and resurrection. His disciples have begun by asking, what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And in the first section of Matthew 24, that is up to verse 14, Jesus seems intent on taking away his disciples' desire for exact dates and times. He says, see that no one misleads you. Many will come in my name. They'll lead many astray. That is, there'll be plenty of false messiahs and false teachings until the end. And then he tells of wars and rumors of wars and earthquakes and famines and persecution against the followers of Jesus. But says Jesus, the end is not yet. Indeed, before the end comes, this gospel must be preached to all nations or all ethnic groups. And since we don't and can't know to what extent Jesus meant that, we can't know how far we are on the prophetic timetable. See, in the beginning of Matthew 24, Jesus simply wanted to take the timetable away from the disciples. And then in verses 15 to 21, he goes further and foretells a near event, the destruction of Jerusalem and the abomination that causes desolation. And this, according to Jesus, is a major moment in the life of the church and in the ongoing future of the gospel. It must yet happen. And as we've seen, that event was fulfilled in AD 70. And yet, as Jesus has indicated, the events surrounding the destruction of Jerusalem and of the temple would be a time of great and unparalleled suffering. And so ending that part of the teaching, Matthew 24, 21, Jesus says, For then there will be great tribulation, such as has not been from the beginning of the world until now, no, and never will be. And so today we pick up Jesus' teaching from that point. And I'm reading here Matthew 24, 22 to 28. And if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. Then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you beforehand. So if they say to you, look, he is in the wilderness, do not go out. If they say, look, he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. 
Wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. We need to proceed quite slowly here so we understand the flow of Jesus' thought. The natural sense of it seems to be saying that immediately after the abomination that causes desolation, that is, immediately after the destruction of Jerusalem and the burning down of the temple and the slaughter of the Jews living in Jerusalem, that those days, notice again verse 22, if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved or would have survived. But I'm going to argue that the reference to those days we find here in verse 22, it's it's not a reference to the abomination that causes desolation. Rather, it's a reference to everything that Jesus has been teaching in this chapter. That is, there'll be wars and rumors of wars. There'll be earthquakes and famines. There'll be persecution against the followers of Jesus. There'll be a great moment when Jerusalem is destroyed. And that's what's intended by the phrase, those days. That is, he means those days when everything happens that I've been teaching you about. Now, I want to slow us down and consider this because it's important to understand what Jesus is saying and not saying. See, the critics of the Bible have sometimes made the point that Jesus expected that the world would end immediately after the destruction of the temple. And so they understand those days as the days of the Jewish war, when the Romans decimated the Jews and sent them from their country, that Jesus, they say, taught at that point would be the end of the age. Well, in truth, as we've already seen, that's exactly what the disciples thought. But Jesus has already corrected that misunderstanding. No, no, he says. Things will go on as before. Wars, earthquakes, persecutions, false teachers, the love of many growing cold, some falling away from the faith. These, said Jesus, are but the birth pains. The time has not yet come for birth or for the end of the age or for the beginning of the next. From Jesus' perspective, the destruction of Jerusalem was a very important moment in the growth of the gospel and the spread of the church, but that event did not signal the end of the age. And so I come back to the issue. If the reference to those days is about everything that occurs in the world from the time of his resurrection and the ascension and the giving of the Holy Spirit and the birth of the Christian church until it becomes a global phenomenon, If that's what Jesus meant, then Jesus is saying, if the Father simply allowed those days to continue on in an indefinite future, then no human being would be saved. And here by saved, he doesn't mean salvation from sin, but rather salvation from absolute destruction. That is, if God the Father didn't reach down and bring those days to an end, the human race would utterly perish. Now, with the advantage of history, we actually see that's the case. Not only is the second coming of Jesus the blessed hope of the believer, in a strange fashion, it's also the hope of human survival. Whether we now stand at the threshold of the Lord's second coming, I don't know. But we do live in a day when our ability to wage warfare is capable of ending all human life. When global culture is emerging and yet human and national divisions are intensifying and deepening and the ability of governments through human technology to monitor every single human being, thus making persecution an ever greater possibility. Well, you can see where I'm going in all of this. Worldwide pandemics, the threat of global climate change, and all that entails, all of it leads the human race to the brink of ruin. Eventually, the human race is going to run out of roadway, and then no human being will be saved. Notice at the very end of verse 22, but for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. Now, since it's now 2,000 years since Jesus said these things, I mean, some of us have the idea, well, definitely those days were not cut short. 
But when we think this way, we forget the one who speaks these words is God himself. And he, for the sake of those chosen by the Father to be Christ followers, for the sake of the elect, not for the sake of the world, but for the sake of the elect, he will prevent the world from eventually spiraling down to absolute destruction. And there's where we see our hope. The Father has his eyes on his children. Yet in divine providence, he has ordained that there would be persecution against his own. But he also assures us that he's acting globally for the sake of the elect. Dear follower of Jesus, doesn't that fill you with hope as we face a new year? God has so arranged global events that for the sake of the elect. So why worry if that's so? And But then, having given that assurance, notice also verses 23 to 25. Then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you beforehand. Now notice the word then. I'm assuming that as we approach the time when the Father intervenes so that all humanity is not destroyed, then if anyone says, look, here's the Christ, or look, there's the Messiah, here's the Savior of the human race, don't believe it. And with that, Jesus speaks of false Christs and false prophets. So it's at this point that my mind is taken up in Paul's teaching on this matter. 2 Thessalonians 2, 1 to 4. Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to him, we ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. See, the ultimate false Christ is the man of lawlessness or the Antichrist, or as Revelation describes him, the beast. That is, Jesus says, when we come to the time when human beings are at the brink of extinction, expect there to be false and misleading saviors. You may think that estate planning is only for the wealthy, but decisions about your home, family, your retirement, or even how you'd like to see your money used for ministry Well, that's important. Back to the Bible Canada has partnered with Advisors with Purpose to help you start and discuss those important decisions. Their trained estate specialists are available to meet you by phone and provide you with the information to make the best decisions possible for you and your family. As a result of our partnership, Advisors with Purpose has made their services free and confidential to you alone, leaving you free from any obligation. It's never too early to plan for your future, so call them today. To speak to an estate specialist today, call 1-866-336-3315. That's 1-866-336-3315. Or visit advisorswithpurpose.ca for your free and confidential consult. Now, if I've read Jesus correctly, he's telling us that when it appears that humanity is on the brink, it might face complete destruction, 
At that time, many false prophets and false Christs or false messiahs or false saviors will arise. As the answer to the human crisis, they will arise. Jesus even says they will perform great signs. That is, they'll be able to perform miracles, appearing as if they were gods in their own right. Again, we're reminded of what John teaches us in the book of Revelation. In Revelation 13, the beast is the Antichrist. There's a second beast. He's the false prophet. Listen to what John says about the power of the false prophet. Revelation 13, 13 to 14. It performs great signs, even making fire come down from heaven to earth in front of people. And by the signs that it is allowed to work in the presence of the beast, it deceives those who dwell on earth. Now, Jesus back in Matthew 24 says that these false saviors would lead astray even the elect if that were possible. But of course, it's not possible. In speaking of his own elect in John 10, 29, Jesus said, My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. And so we have a word of assurance. Look, it's surely true that false saviors will attempt to deceive even the elect. Christ will protect them. And we need to stop here and consider the implications of that. While we have a promise from Jesus, we know that his promise always works through means. If you truly belong to Christ, then you'll spend your time familiarizing yourself with his truth. You'll know the scripture. You'll believe in one truth, that one truth that was once for all delivered to the saints. If there's only one thing you know well in this world, dear believer, it should be your Bible. You should know the historic doctrines of the faith. And you shouldn't be wowed by miracles. And if you are, your easy prey for any number of false teachers who pretend to teach on the basis that they can heal the sick or that they can make you wealthy or that they claim to have a vision from God and then teach you on the basis of their visions. We, the people of Jesus, are sola scriptura people, that is, scriptures alone. I don't care if a person has a vision he wants to share, or even if it's the Pope himself or a popular or charismatic pastor, I will trust none of them I will trust in Scripture alone. And all of this prepares us for the ultimate day of evil that's coming upon the whole earth. Having trained ourselves in the truths of the Word of God, we're prepared for the day of deception that will come upon the whole earth. And so Jesus continues, false messiahs and false prophets will be abundant at the very end of the age. This is because of the desperation of the human race for a Savior. But Jesus has a word for his people. Look again at verses 26 to 28. So if they say to you, look, he is in the wilderness, do not go out. If they say, look, he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. That is to say, you'll know the Savior, the only Savior, when he visibly appears in the heavens to the entire human race. Not when someone claims to be him and shows up in any other location on earth. The second coming of our Lord, the only true Savior, will appear visibly to the whole earth at the same time. Well, that leads someone to ask about verse 28. I mean, what is this thing about a corpse and the vultures gathering? Well, I think it's best to understand that as a proverb that was popular in Jesus' day. And I don't mean a biblical proverb, but I mean a saying which people in Jesus' day understood. Look, vultures see a dead corpse and are very easily attracted to it. And the elect will know when the Savior appears that they will easily be attracted to him. 
Well, very good. Having told us what to look for at the close of the age, Jesus now, and here I'm reading the beginning of verse 29, he says, immediately after the tribulation of those days. Now stop here again. You might remember that we began with those words in verse 22. If those days had not been cut short. Now, there we said that those days refers to all the events since the time of Jesus until his second coming. Those days have been cut short. For if they wouldn't have been cut short, no one would survive. Now, immediately after the tribulation of those days, and the Greek word is philipsis, it means the days of suffering after those days. See, often some Bible readers, whenever they read the word tribulation, immediately think it must refer to the seven-year tribulation during the time of the Antichrist. But I think that's not what Jesus meant right here. He meant the days of hardship or of great distress. From the days of when the church was formed until the very end, these will be days of sorrow and suffering. And so understanding that, let's read what Jesus says next. I'm reading Matthew 24, 29 to 31. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory and he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. That is, These are the events that will immediately precede the second coming. First, heavenly disturbances. Now, I need to say there are some Bible teachers who argue that this language should be understood only figuratively. That is, for them the sun darkened and the moon not giving its light and the stars falling and the heavens shaken. It means that there will be political judgments on the nations and the governments of the world. Now, If this is how we understand Jesus, well, it would fall in line with what Revelation tells us about the destruction of Babylon or the destruction of the nations of the world. But I think the words immediately after the tribulation of those days tells me the nations of the world have already come to ruin. And furthermore, there have been times in history where the moment of judgment is at hand and where there has been celestial stress. I mean, think about the ninth plague on Egypt when the land of Egypt was ushered into complete darkness. Or think about what happened when Jesus was crucified. Matthew 27 verse 45 says that there was darkness over the land from the sixth to the ninth hour. So I see no reason not to believe that just before Christ returns, that at that very moment, all the celestial bodies will be darkened. What a moment that will be. No sun, no moon, no stars, as the powers of the heavens turn completely dark. The entire earth pauses what does this mean? And then at that very moment, says Jesus, there will appear in the heaven a sign of the Son of Man. Now, we might wonder why it doesn't say, you know, the Son of Man will appear. It has been pointed out that the Greek word sign can also be used as a standard. I mean, think about the the Roman standards that went ahead of the army into battle. These were the banners, the symbols that spoke of imperial Rome and its power. I think that's what Jesus has in mind. Suddenly, all the earth is in darkness. Stars have fallen from the sky. And it's as if God has switched off the sun itself. And in the darkness, as all the earth gazes in horror at the darkened sky, suddenly in the heavens, the standard, the great banner of the Son of Man unfurls across the entire sky so that all the earth sees it at the same time. Then, says Jesus, all the earth begins to mourn. Now, please don't misunderstand this mourning. 
There is a legitimate and genuine mourning over our sin as we repent and turn from them. This mourning is not that. Rather, it's shrieking in terror. It's weeping by those who have been the enemies of Christ. And then, says Jesus, they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with power and great glory. And the use of the term Son of Man reminds us of a passage found in Daniel chapter 7, 13 to 14. It says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a Son of Man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will not be destroyed. And that's the picture. In Matthew, Jesus says that when he comes, he will come again as the glorious Son of Man. After his banner is unfurled in the heavens, suddenly he appears and he comes to overthrow the kingdoms of man and he lays them to waste. And as he does, he establishes his everlasting dominion, his rule, his authority that will never pass away. See, as he appears in the heavens, there's a blast of a trumpet and the great commander Jesus shouts to his angels and gives them orders and they gather up his elect. As Paul would say later, in that moment, in the twinkling of an eye, both the dead in Christ will receive their resurrection bodies and those alive will arise and forever be immediately changed. And that's our blessed hope. And so when things appear dark, when they appear hopeless, and when you are lacking in zeal, when it seems to you that you're losing, remind yourself of these things and be deeply encouraged. Thanks, John. You know, I think it seems at times we avoid the most obvious of Jesus' teachings when it comes to his return. Because here's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking when the time comes, it's going to be awfully obvious, isn't it? <laughs> yes. And I, I remember years ago, I was on an airplane and we were having a, I was having a discussion with a man next to me and he said, well, well, how do you know that the Messiah hasn't already come? And I took him to this very text and he didn't know and came to realize that he had been confused by so many different, you know, spiritual movements and people who claim to be the Messiah. He was constantly being led astray. And it was the first time in his life that he had encountered this glory truth that when Christ comes, I, there's going to be no doubt that the Messiah has arrived. I mean, praise God. Thanks again, John. And remember to join us again tomorrow as we continue our series, The Best is Ahead, right here on Back to the Bible Canada, Bible teaching you can trust. Back to the Bible Canada is dedicated to the clear presentation of God's good news. The comfort and joy of the gospel are not seasonal. All year round, this ministry carries the power of God's word, which transforms hearts and homes, always striving to use resources to expand our opportunity to share the gospel and connect with people through an ever-increasing lineup of Bible teaching programming. For this purpose, we rely upon the generosity and partnership of God's people to fulfill this great mission. Your financial gifts are more than kindness. They are participation in seeding God's word and a trust in kingdom work. You may be considering a year-end donation for this purpose. In advance, thank you. Placing our gifts into the activity of God will never disappoint. 
Call us today to make your year-end ministry gift at 1-800-663-2425 or visit us at backtothebible.ca.